ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. And in the end, there's a scene where he sees his own grave marker. He's faced with mortality. And he asks the question of the spirit. Is it too late, spirit? Is it too late? Well, as you know, Scrooge wakes up. He has an epiphany. A joyful and generous heart. He makes amends to all around and he is given once again a chance to do things differently. Few recognize that Dickens, by his own admission, his uh, story is loosely based on the story of another ancient piece of literature. In fact, a, a passage in the Bible. And I'd like to read that for you this morning. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Uh, just a little break. This isn't the kind of verse you put on your refrigerator or on your bathroom mirror to encourage you when you're shaving in the morning. Just, just wanted you to know that. You have hoarded wealth in the last days, James continues. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen you, who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of the slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now, the context of this passage, and if, if I could just remind you once again, whenever you read James in the future, I want you always to see a picture. And that picture is the contrast between standing strong and tall before the Lord, saying, Lord, everything I have is from you. I give you my life. I give you my soul. I give you my heart. So picture the one standing before God with their arms lifted up in submission to God and in contrast to the one who bows to the earth. The one who bends a knee to the earth. The one who is convinced that the earth will provide the nourishment that will enrich your soul. The one who is bowed to the earth has decided that uh, that designer bait is food after all. That one who is bent to the earth has decided that the earth, the world as we know it, will sustain us and give us joy and success and happiness. That's the contrast throughout the book of James. Whenever you read the book, again, I want you to see that contrast of a man or a woman standing before God or one who has a knee bent to the earth. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus said, I will lift you up. But if he doesn't lift us up, who will? And we decided that the only one left to lift us up is ourselves. And so this morning, I want to look at this text in the construct of a Christmas carol. Three acts, three separate dreams. The first is a dream about death. The se actually, a nightmare. The second is a nightmare about judgment. And the third 
like Scrooge when he waked up, is the idea that there is grace, there is redemption nearby. So let's look at this text through the lens of Scrooge. The first thing we see is death. And death literally, according to the text, comes from bending a knee to the earth when we embrace, remember what we talked about, embrace, the word embrace means to hold on to, it means to settle upon, to have your affections settled on something. So you have settled your affection on the things of the world, and in this text, specifically on money. Now again, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is just a little piece of paper or a piece of gold or a check. It's just something to make a transaction with. The problem with money is that we, as human beings, become too attached to it. So that we bend a knee to the earth and we say, oh, now this, my IRA, or this, my savings, or this, my extra home, or this, my boat, or whatever else. This is what will give me security, happiness, and fulfillment. This designer bait I will swallow because I have believed that it is food and it will become part of me. That's where death is. James says, be very, very careful. Be very careful. God says, you don't, if you don't get this right, and you know, it's really hard sometimes as a pastor, because you're a very generous congregation. You just look at what happened yesterday. Look at what happens when you give your tithes and your offerings on Sunday mornings. You're a very generous congregation, but, but still all of us have had this time in our lives when we are holding too tight to the things of the world and especially to our money. It's like the old uh, farmer. uh, He gave his heart to Christ and and he was going to be baptized that Sunday. And so he walked down to the pond and the preacher was going to baptize him. But before he was baptized, the preacher took his wallet out of his pants and threw it to his wife. He says, I don't want that baptized. You know, the rest of me is fine. I just don't want my wallet baptized. But uh, the rest of me is just fine. Death comes from bending a knee to money. Now, what's at stake here? is a choice between life and death. And again, this, don't shoot the messenger. This is just the messenger. But uh, this word is hard. And it is not easy to communicate. But I want to do my part in sharing, really, from my heart, what this text is about. So, death. Uh, In Jesus' day, um, as in ours, wealth was a sign of God's favor. Yeah, I could preach 20 sermons on that phrase right there, that wealth is a sign of God's favor, because in some contexts, it is. But usually, in the Bible, it is not a sign of God's favor. What it is a sign of is that we are moving so quickly and so forcefully in the direction of the world that we have have taken as our own, we have... Uh, nourished ourselves from the earth. We have have taken as our own the idea that this is how you gain wealth. And we've gone the way of the world. And guess what? It works. Almost always it works. So we go to the way of the world. We go with the stream. And and guess what? We are successful. And, And the Bible says in James, we have to be very, very careful to believe that somehow wealth or prosperity is a sign of God's favor. That God is pleased with me. That I'm doing the right stuff. That my, my wealth proves that God is in love with me. The people in James' day, as it is in our day, that breeds a spirit of entitlement. Like, for instance, one of the main reasons that all of us in here are at the very least um, 
middle class, at the very least living in the richest country in the world, at the very least were comfortable. Now, some of you I know are struggling financially, and I, I don't mean to downplay that. But when the average salary of a human being in the rest of the world is $4 a day, I think we have to recognize that even if we're out of a job right now, we're still doing pretty good. We're still getting three meals. We're still living in a place that's comfortable. Most of us have cars. Uh, sometimes we, we forget that uh, the fact that we are wealthy in that sense, in the world sense, is not because we are virtuous. It's because we were born in the United States. It's where you were born. You weren't born in the United States because you're virtuous. You're just a baby like Bree and Matt's little baby, Riley. She has advantages that most of the world doesn't have because she's born in this world and in this culture. So a sign of wealth, a wealth is not always a sign of God's favor. So we think, well, my wealth shows that God loves me. And, and somehow we come to believe that we've earned that. And Deuteronomy 8.17 says, Beware, lest you say in your heart that the strength of my hand and the power of my might hath given me this wealth. Be very careful to think that you are the reason that you are wealthy. Be very careful to think that you are the reason that you have resources in this world. The other side of the coin says that, well, if a person is not prosperous, a person is not wealthy, a person must be lazy. Or the person must be dumb. Or, even worse than that, the person must not be under God's favor. James is saying, be very careful of these constructs, these ideas that somehow your wealth shows you have virtue or your lack of wealth shows you don't. In this spirit, in this day, a lot of the stuff that you see on television it comes out of one theological construct. It's called the health and wealth gospel, and it goes something like this. If you do what God says, and if you have enough faith, You will be healthy and you will be wealthy. Can I say this right here now as your pastor? That is not true. And when you hear that message on the TV, it is not true. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you that being wealthy means that you're bad. Not at all. But the fact that you have enough faith or you're living a good enough life that you'll be wealthy and healthy, it's not true. Look at the millions upon millions of Christians throughout the world who have nothing Zip, nada. They have a lot more faith than you and I do because they need a lot more faith than you and I do. We have faith in ourselves, pretty much. We, in Visa, we trust. I mean, we have all these resources that most of the world doesn't have. In other words, all of what Paul's saying, or all of what James is saying here, is about not being wealthy, but embracing wealth. Holding on to it. Gripping it. Holding it tight to our breast and saying, now this is what gives me security. This is what makes me okay. This is what makes me happy. That's bending a knee to the earth. And James says, be very, very careful. Hear this, please. That leads to death. Now, it's not just James. We talked weeks ago about how that James and Paul are not opposites, but actually they're back to back fighting different enemies. But they have the same message. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, what would Jesus say about this? Look in, uh, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 12. I want to read a few verses there. And we'll put it up on the screen. It's in your sermon notes. Here's a story that most of you are are aware of. Here's, Here's the story from Luke 12. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Okay, that's good, right? No problem with that. He thought to himself, what shall I do? 
I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my own barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Did you know that that's the context where that very famous phrase came from? It's not a good thing, by the way. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Please hear this. There's nothing wrong with keeping grain in a barn, a retirement fund, an IRA, planning for the future, having money for your kids' college education. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a man who is already wealthy, that has a great crop, and instead of looking and saying, how can I be generous toward God? How can I give money to the poor? How can I give money to my church? How can I give money to help people? He says, I'm going to build bigger barns. That's embracing wealth. That's holding on to it. That's grasping it and saying, now this will give me life. This will sustain me. Jesus said, that's foolish. How about Paul? How does Paul feel? We know that James says that this leads to death. Jesus says it's foolish. How about Paul? 1 Timothy 6, 6, 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Note that even Paul's talking about this idea of bending a knee to the earth. Many harmful and foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Is there any way to misunderstand what the New Testament teaches about embracing wealth. James says it's death. Jesus says it's foolish and your life will be demanded of you. Paul says it's evil. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Why doesn't God talk more, maybe instead of these hundred verses about wealth and embracing it, why doesn't he talk more about love and mercy and grace and all that? I'll tell you why. Because God knows that one of the biggest roadblocks for us as human beings is the area of wealth. Take a look at your checkbook. If you take a look at your checkbook or your visa statement, you will know whether or not you are, you are generous towards God or not. You will know. Only you know. Nobody else knows. But you will know. Here's why this is such a problem. Because God is a generous God. God gives himself completely. He gave himself through his son Jesus to die on the cross. And he gave everything for you. Jesus came to this earth. By the way, if you wonder if a a faithful person and a loving person should be wealthy and be famous, just look at the life of Jesus. (laughs) He was the most faithful. He was the most loving. He was the most righteous person who ever walked the face of this earth. And he had nothing of personal wealth. And he had only grief around people that wanted to make fun of him and chase him and ultimately kill him. James says death. Jesus said foolish. Paul says evil. Why is this such a big deal? Because when we embrace wealth, we are out of sync with God. God says there's only one God, and that's me. He said, I'm a jealous God. And we talked about adultery last week. I'm a jealous God. If you embrace something else, 
You are not embracing me. See, God is a generous God. He gives and gives and gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, everything about God is given to you, given to you, given to you. And if you want to be like Jesus, you want to be a generous giver, a generous giver. There was a time in our lives when we were so wrapped up in debt because of my gambling that we couldn't give to our church. Of course, I, I kept that a secret from Sherry. We couldn't give. We couldn't be generous if somebody needed something. We couldn't do anything about it. And it felt awful. Because I was not living out God's life because I was grasping everything to myself. There's something wrong with somebody that embraces wealth. God gives everything to us. He says, do not hoard. Do not store like Scrooge. But use it for the kingdom of God. Why do you think that Scrooge ended up dancing? I mean, Scrooge is not a dancer. Neither am I. I, And when it comes to dancing, I am a Scrooge. But Scrooge is out there dancing and singing and being generous with his money. Why? Because he had an epiphany. Now, Dickens doesn't talk about Christ, but the whole idea is very spiritual. The whole thing is very spiritual. The whole idea is that he had this revelation that because God is so generous, my heart must be generous as well. If we give with the spirit of Jesus, great joy will come upon us. But if we give with the spirit of bending a knee to the earth, to hoard and to grasp, uh, that always leads to death. There's a clue in verse 3 of our text. It says that uh, their corrosion will testify against you. Now, it's an interesting phrase in the NIV. The corrosion will testify against you. Here's what it means literally. That your wealth will rust or oxidize itself to you. Now, does that help give you a, a picture? Your wealth, it's not some... If you embrace something long enough, <laughs> it'll become part of you. Now, I had... Um, in Denver, our children were fairly small. Uh, the boys were in elementary school in Tammy Junior High when we first moved there. And um, I had this metal uh, toolbox that... Um, uh, Nathan, he was like, uh, at the time, 10, 11 years old, and Tyler was like 8. And uh, they asked me if they could use my toolbox. I said, of course you can, but what does Dad's like? Put it back when you're done, right? So uh, they did the first part very well. They borrowed it. Second part, they didn't do so well. And I, now I didn't, uh, I didn't look for my toolbox for several days. I'm not a big tool guy around the house anyway. So it was a couple of weeks. And finally, when I went to look for it, it wasn't there. Well, it was in the backyard by a bush, wide open. And it had rained and it had hailed and it had done all things that Denver does in the springtime. And when I went over there, I went to pick up my hammer. I picked up the hammer all right, but attached to the hammer were nails and wrenches and everything. It was just big blob of, of oxidation, this big blob of rust. And how am I going to use this thing? Of course, being a wonderful dad, I walked into the house so that the boys could see this thing, you know. This is what you did. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that's what happens to our gold and silver. If we embrace it, it oxidizes to us. It becomes part of us. It, 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 it's no longer something that is separate from us. It is in us and around us and it consumes us. James says that you will be connected or embraced or oxidized to or rusted to that which is gold and silver. James says, don't hold on. 
Be generous with what God has given you. Of course, plan for the future. Of course, have some savings. Of course, be smart with your money. But be generous with what God has given you. Don't hold on. Because if you hold on, this thing that I held out for the boys, this thing weighed like 15 pounds. It's a hammer and seven wrenches and nails and screws and everything. It, It was like an anchor. And that's what happens when wealth oxidizes to us. It becomes an anchor. It drags us down. Remember, our life is, is like a vapor, a mist, dust. You remember the picture, and I forget which one of the Scrooges it's in, but Marley is this awesome ghost, and he has all these chains wrapped over him. Guess what? That wealth that Marley had and that Scrooge had, that had oxidized to them, and he took it with him into eternity. James says, beware. This is not idle talk. James says, you've got to get this right. You've got to understand this, especially in the United States when we are so wealthy. We've got to get this right. Being rusted to or embracing wealth is an anchor that leads to death. Beware. There's a second scene in the story of Scrooge. The first one is about death, and it's very solemn and very uh, off-putting. The second scene is not much better. It's a scene about, about judgment. Judgment. Scrooge knew. He knew. If he continued on his same line of living, he knew that the only option for him was death. He knew it. He was feeling the sense of judgment, this feeling, the sense that something is wrong in my life. What am I going to do about that? He knew that he would be judged when he stood before that grave marker with his name on it. Judgment. I want to just kind of take a side trip here for a few moments. And I think this is important because a lot of Christians don't know a lot about judgment. But let me do a, maybe a four-minute theological discussion about judgment. Maybe it'll help you. There's, um, there's a lot of different kinds of judgment in the Bible, but when it comes to a Christian, there's only two passages you need to know about. Okay, that really helps you understand about judgment. The first, as you would expect, is in Revelation chapter 20, verses um, 11 to 12, and then verse 15. And let me read that passage for you first. Okay, this is Revelation 20, and it's about judgment. There I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Now, that who's seated on it is Jesus, right? There I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and the sky fled from his presence. I wonder why that is. Why does earth and sky flee from Well, because earth and sky and all that is in it is sinful and broken. Okay? Earth and sky uh, flees from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead. Now, that's you and I. This is way far out in the future or maybe today. It's up to you. It's up to God, really. And I... And, uh, uh, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. So we're standing before the throne, okay? Dead, great and small. Whether you're a great person or a small person, you're standing before the throne. And it's about ready for judgment. And uh, the books were opened. What books? Well, most theologians say, theologians say that the books that are opened are the books of your life. A huge flat screen TV in heaven. Monumental. And you get to stand there... And along with Jesus, the righteous judge, you get to watch your life. Oh, now that was an interesting thought you had there. 
Well, look what you did over here. Hmm, that's not, well, but that wasn't so good. And you're watching your thoughts, words, and deeds from your whole life. So that's one uh, thing that is happening there in judgment. Uh, let me finish the text. Um, uh, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Okay, so these dead that are standing around are judged according to what's in their books. That's not a good thought, by the way. If you think that would be fun, that's not going to be fun. It's not. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So if you're written in this first book where you're watching your life, all of those people, the Bible says, is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. All of them. Okay, because what? Every one of them have sinned. Every one of them have broken God's laws. Every one of them have hurt other people. Every one of them have sinned grievously, enormously, passionately. They have done that. All of us have done that. And if you're judged from that book, lights out. Actually, lights on, but it's not a good kind of light for all eternity, right? But then it says that last phrase, if anyone's name was not uh, found written uh, in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. So there's a little... A little side note there. This book of life, what is that about? Well, we know from another text, I won't go into it today, that uh, this is the Lamb's book of life. And every time a person, and we've had, many of you have done this right here in this church or somewhere else, anytime a person says, God, I surrender my life to you, I stand tall in your grace, I cannot save myself, I give my life to you. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you. As soon as you make that decision, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's written. And then when it comes time for your judgment, okay, next. Who's next for the big flat screen in the sky? Step up. You stand before the throne and you start looking at the... Except when watch you're watching the flat screen now, Jesus notices that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And guess what's up on the screen? Jesus dying on the cross. Maybe it's an excerpt from the Passion of the Christ. Maybe it's just the real thing. You know, a picture of what Jesus did on the cross and how he... And so you're standing there to be judged and you say, why is there... And you look back there and it's all about Jesus dying... For your sins. So that's this judgment. Okay, so recognize that there's two parts. There's the um, the separation of the sheep and goats in Matthew 25, the redeemed and the unredeemed. And the factor is always the same. There's no other factor. Well, I was good enough. No, it has nothing to do with that. Well, I did the list. No, it has nothing to do with that. Well, I I was I I went to uh, be the church day on, uh, you know, that. No, no, that's not. No, it's whether or not by faith. Only by faith. You have received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. No other options there. Okay, God says that's it. That's the limit. That's what we do. If you want me, you need to, by faith, receive me and accept my sacrifice for your sins. So that's the great white throne judgment. Then, and I hope, and in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to press into that. But most of you, I'm sure, recognize that, thank God, when you stand before the great white throne judgment, the picture on the screen will be a picture of Jesus. I pray that's the case for all of you. But then there's the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, let me read that quickly. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is not about salvation. These are people that are already redeemed. These are people that are in Christ. These are people that are Christians. But all of their works aren't necessarily good, right? Right? All of us, we agree. There have been times when we have bent a knee to the earth. 
There have been times when we have embraced wealth when we shouldn't have. There's been times when we have taken the designer bait and assumed that it was food. Yeah, all of us have done that. And, and, but, but for those believers, those works will be burned up. Thank God for that. And again, what will be left will be the precious shed blood of Jesus. The judgment seat of Christ is the word in Hebrew, bima, B-E-M-A, which means a reward. So this judgment is about reward. It's not about spanking your hand. It's about reward. The Greek Olympics, uh, bima was a crown that was put on your head. If you're redeemed, yes, I know you've stumbled. Yes, I know you've fallen. Yes, you've bent a knee at times. Yes, you have not always been what you want to be, but you are in Christ. And you claim almost daily, as I do, Lord Jesus, you are my only hope. Some of those works will be burned, thank God, but God sees you through the blood of Jesus. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. All that has been done to you, please hear this, all that has been done to you will be healed. All that you did to others will be redeemed. And the regret at being bent towards the earth, all you will hear is this. Stand up in Christ. I know that there are times that you're bent, maybe some of you are bent to the earth today. And the word that you hear is stand up in Christ. And that leads us to this third act in this amazing play. And that third act is grace. It's standing before the marker and having a choice and realizing. Here's what grace means in this context. Let me tell you what grace means. Grace means it's only a dream. It's only a dream. Death is real. People have to face that. Judgment is absolute. You will have to face it. But here's the good news. You are breathing. You are alive. You are sitting at Hope Covenant Church on this Lord's Day. You have another chance. You have a second chance. Just like Scrooge. Scrooge woke up and he was redeemed. He was, had an epiphany. He changed from having a, a shriveled up, embraced heart. And he changed that to having a generous heart towards God and towards people. He changed. Zacchaeus. The story in Luke, Luke, Luke 19. We won't go into it because of time, but Zacchaeus was the story of this, 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 this tax collector. Everybody hated him, by the way. He was wealthy. He had everything possible, imaginable. Beautiful home. He had servants. He had the whole enchilada. Zacchaeus, but he knew there was something missing. And so he was, he was a short man, obviously, and he was up in a tree trying to see Jesus when he came by. Jesus spotted him and said, Hey, Zacchaeus, I know you. I want you to come down from there and let's go to your house and have some tea. Uh, let's go to your house and have some fellowship. You know, let's, let's, let's go and talk and, and visit. And, and here's what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. Your wealth isn't going to save you, Zacchaeus. Your position isn't going to save you. But Zacchaeus, you need to hear this and you hear this very clearly. Zacchaeus, I know you. I see you. I want you. I know you're bent to the earth. I know you've come to believe that this will satisfy your soul. But Jesus says, I know you. I see you. And I want you. That's grace. That's the opportunity for redemption. That's the opportunity as Scrooge had, as Zacchaeus had, as I had earlier in my life to say, yes, all my life I said, no, 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 God, no, no, no. But now I say, yes. Now that's amazing grace. 
There's an old song that when I was growing up, we used to sing at the close of a Youth for Christ rally. The night that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old, they sang this song. And here's what the song said. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. How many remember that song? Okay, a few of you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth that we have embraced, the things of earth that we have oxidized to, that we have rusted to, whether it's wealth or something else, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Would you bow your heads with me, please, Father?